Welcome to Do I Need My Racket podcast, brought to you by In Her Name Foundation. I am Cindy Swain, your host, and this is episode number eight. Hey, coach! Well, that's a simple phrase with a lot of meaning. It means respect, it means I need your attention, it might mean what's next, what do you want us to do, but it also means that I'm important, they value my opinion, and that I matter. In this episode, we're going to talk about coaching. What makes a good coach? And what interferes with being a good coach? There are a lot of opinions on this topic about coaching, what's good coaching and what isn't good coaching. And I'm going to share some of my thoughts. But first, I want to share a story. When I first started coaching, the entry-level coach, every entry-level coach in the state of Michigan is required to take a Michigan High School Athletic Association Level 1 course. You have to take that course in order to be able to coach in the postseason, regionals and state tournaments. Well, at the beginning of the day, at the start of the course, after introductions were made, the speaker for that morning said, how do you know if you've been a good coach? Well, after a little bit of silence, he answered by the number of open house invitations that you get. Well, my first thought was, mm, no, don't think so. I think that's kind of stupid. And my thought also was the majority of coaching that you do isn't with seniors. It's with grade schoolers, middle school, freshmen, sophomore, and juniors. And maybe when they get to their senior year, they don't have an open house. So how would you measure that? Well, here are some of my other thoughts about what it means to be a good coach. Simply, when you hear the words, hey, coach, it comes with great responsibility. It could mean hello. It could mean, coach, watch this. It could mean, coach, I need you. I need your attention. I need your opinion. Be attentive. But it does mean they respect you, they value your opinion, they want your input, and you're important to them. To be a good coach, you need supportive parents that go a long way in good coaching. Good parenting goes a long way with good coaching. I'm going to repeat that. Supportive parents can be very helpful to be a good coach. When they coach through you and through their son or daughter, instead of heading to administration over the first conflict and disagreement and try to take the obstacle out of the way for their son or daughter. To be a good coach, you need to listen to what the kids say. Listen to what the team is telling you. Understand what the team strengths are, what individual strengths are, and get them to come together as a team. And what are their goals? understand what they want to accomplish for the season. To be a good coach, you need to teach skills that have practical meaning. Skills they can take off the court, off the field, and into life, such as good sportsmanship, how to win graciously, how to lose graciously. In tennis, no matter win or loss, you meet your opponent at the net, and you shake their hand and look them in the eye and congratulate them on a good match. To be a good coach, 
one of the most important things you need to do, teach them how to lose because that is life. You're not always going to be a winner. You're going to be on a losing team. And how do you move on from that? What do you learn from that? It's about character, strength, persistence. And I think this is the biggest conflict when it comes with coaching and parenting. I hear more and more from coaches and colleagues the difficulties with parents interfering with their child's chance of learning from loss and trying to cut or mow that obstacle out of the way. They're removing a natural thing that happens in life that we will all experience at some point in time. What do you do after loss and how do you move forward? So as coaches and parents, we do need to take a breath, a step back, and look at what we're doing to these kids these days. Teach them about life. Give them skills to move forward. As I always say before every game that I'm doing public address announcing for, whether it be basketball, volleyball, or softball, during the sportsmanship part, I have added, let the coaches coach, players play, and officials call the game. Because we can all set the sportsmanship bar high for future generations, meaning we need to model good behavior. This will help this next generation coming up know how to handle conflict appropriately. You may not always agree with everything you see or hear, but you do need to follow the rules and the guidelines, and this can go a long way in teaching our youth to do it the right way. Personally, I've experienced both good and bad coaches, but I had one good one. One good one so good, I want any of you that haven't listened to episode one of this podcast called September 22nd, go back and listen to it. Because it, I talk about my experience with my high school tennis coach, Donna Cooper, that happened 47 years ago. She left a lifelong impression in my heart in such a positive way. It has been the actual inspiration of this podcast and part of the inspiration for In Her Name Foundation. As a parent, my kids have had good coaches. When seasons would fly by and you wished every season, every sport, your kid had that coach. And you could visibly see your son or daughter change in so many positive ways. My kids also have had bad coaches. And you could hardly wait for the season to be over. But even with all of that, in all the drama, in all the heartache, in all the difficulty, I always parented through my kids to the coach first before administration. I did not go to administration over the first conflict or something I disagreed with. I tried to teach my son or daughter about overcoming obstacles, which is a life lesson in not getting along with everyone, but you need everyone to get along. I did not try to take that obstacle out of the way. So they needed to learn how to overcome obstacles when things were difficult. It's a hard lesson to sit on your hands and not say anything. But it is a necessary lesson for this generation coming up because just that, you are modeling behavior they can use later 
in life. Well, my guest today is Dr. Jennifer Roth. She's an assistant professor at Michigan State University in the Department of Kinesiology, and her specialty is teaching coaches how to coach. Dr. Roth was inspired from her experience with coaches she had growing up. And she is on a mission to impact coaches and kids, making their sport experience meaningful and positive. So sit back and listen to what it means to hear, hey, coach. So today for this podcast interview, I have with me Dr. Jennifer Roth from the Department of Kinesiology at Michigan State University. Welcome, Jennifer. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you. Um, I think uh, your background really fascinates me for one, because you are also a former tennis player and high school tennis coach. So we have that in common. You also have a specialty in sport coaching. And you are currently working with uh, the United States Tennis Association as a consultant and doing things with um, basically teaching coaches how to coach. Yeah. (laughs) So before we get into that part, um, I think your story is fascinating. Just tell us a little bit about your high school tennis and where you went to college and how you ended up getting into coaching. Sure. So I played junior tennis um, pretty competitively, both junior tennis and soccer, uh, pretty competitively. Um, when I got to the high school stage, I chose tennis, um, specialized in the sport, moved away from soccer. I thought better opportunity to get a scholarship if I go the tennis route. Um, so played varsity tennis. I played one singles all four years. At Brighton High School. At Brighton, Brighton Michigan. Yep. Brighton High School. And coming out of that, I had received a full-ride scholarship to Western Michigan. Um, In Kalamazoo, Western Michigan University in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Yep. Uh, Went there my freshman year. Had a pretty rough year there. Mm -hmm. Um, Played for a coach who I did not get along well with. The pressure was high. Um, Things just (laughs) did not go well for for me that year. Um, And it just became too much. The pressure became too much. And it, that was the more the focus of winning versus really developing you as a player? Yeah, sure. So um, Western Michigan, when I joined the team, they were ranked in the top 50 in the nation. Mm-hmm. Um, my year, we had four new freshmen, so mm. about half the team. Including you. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of pressure on us to kind of keep that ranking up. Right. Um, that did not happen. Obviously, with four new freshmen, that's a half of a team. That's, that's a lot there. of pressure. Yeah. Um, and instead of supporting us and helping us grow through that year, we were kind of pitted against each other, um, which really hurt the team culture. Oh, absolutely. So in college tennis, you only really have, you six are the ones that play and you play both ways. You play singles and doubles. Yeah. So usually there's eight on a team, um, six singles, three doubles matches. Um, I think the rules have changed now that I've been out for a while, but similar idea. Um, yeah, so you, you play both. If you can, you might play one or the other, depending on where you are in the lineup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so at the end of your freshman year, tell us about what happened. Yeah, so finished freshman year, um, we had our conference tournament. Um, I got pulled, I played doubles 
Um, we ended up losing that doubles match. I was in the lineup for singles and she ended up pulling me out. Um, and then we came home from the tournament. I got called in for the coach meeting at the end of the season uh, and was told they evaluated me on my performance and my skills, told I did not meet the standards, and they had a transfer letter signed for me to leave. Um, I, I was told I could come back for another year just with no money. Without a scholarship. Yeah, no scholarship. Which I just blows my mind. <laughs> you know, <laughs> That a coach would do that to a freshman. Yeah, I mean, you can see how that was like, that was her power, that hanging that scholarship yeah. over my head. Yeah. yeah, so obviously things didn't work out at Western Michigan mm -hmm. University. So then you went elsewhere. Yeah, so I went to St. Louis University in Missouri. Um, I had a better coach there, uh, nicer person, not a super great coach, but good, mm -hmm. good. Um, it was a fun time. It was three years spent there, played singles and doubles, had some great friends there. Um, yeah, but, you know, through, as we were talking, um, through having some not so positive coaches in college, yeah, you got into teaching coaches how to coach. How did that happen? Yeah. So coming out of that, I think I realized the true role that a coach had in youth athletes development and how much of a role, a good role they could have in how somebody grows up. Mm-hmm. Um, and to have a couple coaches that really didn't use that position well for me and didn't, wasn't that person, um, my focus switched to how can I help coaches become that person right. that everybody promotes sport to be. Because just as, as positive as a coach can be, especially in, you know, in my life, they can be just as detrimental at the same time, which turns kids off from sport. Um, I think I've shared you know, with you some different coaches that I've seen over the years, I've seen some great ones where winning is not necessarily the means to an end for them. They're more con concerned, or I should say more focused on development of character mm -hmm. in person and what it's like to be on a team. And you can just see it in those kids, how much more they enjoy the sport, even if they're not winning, mm -hmm. where you have coaches that if the emphasis is put on winning, then the kids find it's too competitive or too hard, too stressful, and they mm -hmm. end up dropping out. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you ask any former athlete, what was the best time of sport? And it's always the car rides with the team or doing a team bonding activity. A dinner or playing yeah. games or something yeah. you know, off the court or off the field. Yeah, or if it was a game, it was the game where everyone was at and everyone's cheering everyone on. It's never this one match that you won back in, mm -hmm. you know, you well, unless it, that. You know, sometimes they'll say, it's time the first time we ever beat, you know, yeah. this team or it's the first time we we won a championship in a long, you know, a long yeah. time. Yeah, um, yeah. Yep, so um, I... Got my degree in psychology, came to uh, Michigan State where I studied psychosocial aspects of sport and physical activity. Um, and then I uh, started teaching in our master's of sport coaching, leadership and administration. Okay. And you also do work for the USTA or the United States Tennis Association. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So through the Institute for the Study of Youth Sport at Michigan State, uh, we work with USDA to create mentoring programs for them. Um, we're working on parent education modules um, and as well as doing some research on, on questions they have about the sport. Mm -hmm. So in today in 2023, um, I think it's a challenge to one, get kids out for sports 
and also get coaches to coach for a number of factors. There's so much emphasis placed on winning, and there are times when parents kind of get a little too far over into the coach's realm instead of just being a team parent. Mm -hmm. Um, What's your thought on that? Yeah, I think over the last couple decades, youth sport has become more professionalized. So it's not seen as a leisure activity for every kid. It's, it's seen as this place to earn a scholarship, make money, get um, higher status. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's moved away from this long-term developmental mm-hmm. um, option for kids. And, and I think that's made the recreation side of sport seem like the less than avenue. Yeah, and kids are not going out because of that. Right. There's too much pressure. All yeah. the coach wants to do is win. Mm-hmm. Um, or it. what's happened is money has filtered down into youth sports. Yeah. And if they can't afford to be on a travel team or play on an AAU team or play you know, tennis tournaments outside of the season, they don't think they're good enough. Mm-hmm. And so they don't go out. Or they'll. I also hear, well, if I'm not good enough to play in college, why play in high school? Mm-hmm. And it, it's really sad to me because they're really missing out on opportunities. Yeah, there for sure. I think that that professionalization has gone down to our youngest ages. Mm-hmm. So now kids are specializing at age eight in one sport rather than playing a multitude of sports. Mm-hmm. Um, and that cost of that participation at that age is high. Mm-hmm. So at age eight, if your family can't support you to specialize in sport, now you have lost the ability to play because there aren't rec options anymore exactly and i remember talking to we were at a social function a couple years ago and uh speaking with a dad he had to leave early because he was taking his second grade daughter who would have been about eight to try out for a travel soccer team at eight yeah yeah there's rankings national rankings for under six-year-old in baseball are you kidding me i'm not I'm not. It's terrible. And I, I just signed my son up. Yeah. He's three for a, a, a sport camp. They just learn a bunch of sports. Yeah. And they had to send an a email out that reminded parents this is not a place for kids to earn scholarships. This is to learn fundamental motor skills. They actually sent that out for three-year-olds? Three-year-olds. And I was like, oh. That is, what is, there's so much wrong with that. Yeah. I mean, I just want my kid to be around other kids playing, learning how to move his body. And yeah. We and have doing, to be reminded. Reminded that. that this is not for a scholarship at the age yeah. of three. That is telling. Yeah. That is really telling. And I think that is, for me as a coach, that's challenging to get coaches to want to coach that. For sure. I mean, for one, it, it puts extreme pressure on kids at a young age that if they're not good, it, it's not worth their time. Mm-hmm. that there's no other benefits if they're not good. And then it tells coaches that if you're not producing a winning team, you're not a good coach. Exactly. And a lot of times in youth sports, um, because you have just the gradual uh, matriculation through the grades, you have different levels of talent that come through your program every year, especially school sports. Mm-hmm. Not so much in like the, the, the collective travel teams or the AAU teams, they kind of get the cream of the crock. But in school... It's really dictated on just who comes through the program. Mm-hmm. So you have no control over your wins and losses. You do to some degree, but a lot of it just depends on the ability or the skill level of the kids that you're coaching. And sometimes parents don't accept that. Yeah. They yeah. look at, oh, so-and-so is not winning. They don't have a winning season, or they've had these you know, three seasons in a row, losing seasons. 
they're in the administrator's office. Mm-hmm. We need a new coach. Yeah. What do you have to say about that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's gotten to the point where instead of playing high school, kids are now playing travel. Right. And not playing high school. Exactly. So there's that decision that parents are making that the best choice for my kid is to stay in the travel, the private leagues and high school is going to be a distraction from that. Whereas high school is a sport for all and everyone should be involved and be able to participate. Well, and they should, and they, you know, kids deserve good coaches. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I know you've experienced this and I, you know, I've seen my share of, of good ones and I've seen my share of ones that absolutely don't have business coaching young mm-hmm. kids. And it's hard. Um, I shared a story with you earlier uh, in one of our conversations about I was calling a varsity volleyball game and um, the coach, one of the coaches from the opposing team was upset about how her girls were playing and they were losing and in the middle of the match she called a timeout and had the entire varsity girl team do push-ups on the floor while everyone watched yeah that's humiliating for those athletes absolutely humiliating because i can guarantee you that's what those girls took away from that they're Mm -hmm. teenage girls being demeaned in the middle of a varsity match yes they weren't winning but still that's what they that's what they learned yeah yeah, though that tells them that their value is their skill level mm-hmm. and their ability to perform under pressure, and none, nothing else about them mm-hmm. is of value. Right, and I think part of your expertise is in, um, you know, kids can go out for a sport, and you want them to learn all those great things, you know, how to participate, organize your time, responsibility, mm-hmm. get along, communicate. But just because you put them in that sport Mm -hmm. doesn't mean they're going to get that. Yeah. It depends on the coach. For sure. Yeah. I think a lot of coaches start coaching because they are former players. Mm -hmm. And because there's a lack of coach education, there's, you know, some, there's very basic level coach education that might be required. There's nothing to teach them how to coach sport, Mm -hmm. which is different from playing. Just because you're a good player doesn't mean you're going to be a good coach. So without this education of how to structure the sport experience Mm -hmm. where kids feel safe they feel supported they feel like their effort and their attitude and behavior are rewarded Mm -hmm. then that that experience is not gonna be fun for them right so if you were speaking in front of a group of people in a room and they were considering coaching yeah. And some of them were kind of like, oh, I don't know. Do I want to do this? What would you tell them to coach? Because we do need good coaches. We need more good coaches. Mm-hmm. Number one, because youth participation in sports is dropping off across the board, both mm-hmm. boys and girls. And kids need good role models because yeah. they can learn from that. It can be impactful for their entire life. So you're in front of this group of people that are like on the, you know, what would you tell them to get them interested in coaching? Sure. Um, so reflective practice seems to be very effective for coaching. So I think I'd run them through some reflection of what was your youth sport experience? What did you get out of it? And who made the difference for you that mm-hmm. led to that mm-hmm. experience? And, you know, I know you talked about too, your coach made a huge difference in your experience and really played an important role. And to be that person for young people is so rewarding mm-hmm. that that's what I would push them is to Think about that experience and have it come back to you and and mm-hmm. remember how you don't remember the wins and losses. You remember the relationships that you had. Exactly. Um, so you 
you coached tennis mm-hmm. at Williamston High School for a couple years. Yeah. So what? Tell me what you took away from that experience. Yeah. So I did that. I was straight out of college tennis. So I was that typical. Oh, I played college tennis, so I, I got can this. coach. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was lucky enough to have a team with some very good athletes on it, um, which made made it easier for me to feel confident in mm-hmm. my coaching. But I think from that lesson, it's, it was very challenging on a tennis team specifically to form those relationships with all the athletes mm-hmm. because you have your singles players, you have your doubles players, you only have a couple hours a week in practice and you're only one person. So do you spend the time with the singles players? Do you spend the time with the JV who you really need to work and develop so that you have a future team? So it, yeah, from that experience, it was, it was very hard, but the most rewarding part was forming those relationships with the athletes. Yeah. And you know, tennis is hard. It's, it's a team sport, but it's also individual. And I think my biggest challenge is how do you teach the kids to get that? Mm-hmm. Um, because they can all go off and play their matches on their own. But yet I keep telling my kids over and over and over is like, if we don't come through together as a team, we don't move forward with the season. We have to take a team effort to get and win regionals to go to state. And I, and I talk about that almost on a weekly basis and it's a challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It a challenge. It's hard when you can have success as an individual, but your team doesn't. Mm-hmm. And how does that, how does that work together to create that team atmosphere? So in tennis specifically, you really do have to focus on the team activities you have to make sure that your number one singles knows your number four doubles mm-hmm. and there's a relationship there. Yep. So as challenging as it is to run group lessons where there's so many different levels of skill, yes. having group activities within practices is key. Um, having the number four players lead the rest of the team, giving them the chance to be a leader for a day, um, giving the athletes a, a chance to create some sort of team bonding activity. Right. I think by giving them something to do or putting, putting them in charge of something makes them feel valued. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I do face the challenge a lot of times where I have, you know, my JV players that are a completely different level than my upper varsity and, how do you get those kids engaged when you have to be split in half? I've got JV over here, but yet I need to prep my varsity mm-hmm. for a match tomorrow. And what I have done is exactly that is, is get someone from the JV. Okay. You're the leader for today. Mm-hmm. You're going to run this drill. And just by giving them that, you can just see them like, wow. Yeah. Coach thinks I can do this. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing, but just a couple of little things you can do to mm-hmm. make, the, the changes. And, and I do, you know, mix things up, you know, singles and doubles, and I try to get kids paired in different pairings, but it is a yeah. challenge for sure. Yeah. I go back to the self-determination theory a lot. I mm-hmm. don't know. Which it's, is, explain that. Yeah. So it's this idea of, um, to motivate athletes, you should, um, give them autonomy. So give them choice and control over what they're doing, um, increase their feelings of competence. So mm-hmm. their skill level and how good they perceive themselves at the sport. And then also, um, increased feelings of relatedness. So peer interaction, peer relationships should be mm-hmm. high as well and coach athlete relationships. And when all those things are working together, they feel like they have choice, they feel competent and they feel like they have good supportive relationships Then they're motivated to be in that space. Yeah. So by giving them that choice of mm-hmm. you're going to be the leader, you decide how this drill is going to run. That gives them autonomy and that motivates them. Yeah, it, it does. It does. And I try to use that, you know, when I can a couple other things I wanted to ask you about. So you're currently working on some coaching modules that can really kind of delve into giving that youth sport participant 
the best experience. Um, one's on competition. One's on, you said about supportive parents or coaches as parents. So just walk us through some of those modules that you're developing right now. Yeah. So we're in the beginning phases and this is, it's more focused on parents. So how can parents be in that role to be a supportive parent for their kids? Mm -hmm. Um, so we're talking about the roles of the parent. So how authoritative or authoritarian the parent is, how demanding versus supportive or controlling, Mm -hmm. um, and what, and how to communicate with your child to determine what they need from you. Mm -hmm. So I think parents step into the role and, and they're, going to be this person for their kid, but they never have a conversation around asking the child, like, what are your goals in the sport? Mm, What do you want from me to support you? And I think parents sometimes put the goals on their children. They do that a lot. Absolutely. Instead of having an open discussion, you know, maybe at 10, the kid is not very interested in tennis Mm -hmm. right now, Mm -hmm. but at 13, you check in again, they go, yeah, I want to pursue high school tennis. And then you can start pushing them. But that communication is a huge thing. I think that's huge. I think that in general, um, I think we all as parents, I think at some point need to take a step back and say, whoa, this is, you know, what am I doing here? Uh, And in, in, in look and see what the best needs are for the kid. Like, I just, you know, my kids are always sending me these funny videos. And there was, there was one they sent me recently, and I, can't, I don't know the link to it, but I, the story is hilarious. They were talking about a little boy that didn't want to play on the basketball team. So he would lay, like, vertical across the empty chairs. And it was a comedian, and he's talking about, um, hey, I don't even go to watch my own kid play because he doesn't play, but I go to watch this other guy. And he had the ball. He was wide open. Nobody around him. Free shot under the basket. And what does he do? He licks it and kicks it into the stands. You know? And I think we need to look at that as parents and say, what am I doing here? And listen to what the kids have to say. Because you've actually sit down and listen to them or ask them why they're playing. It, it sometimes is not congruent with what you hear from their parent. Yeah, for I sure. I that. Yeah, and you can, whenever you go watch a youth sport game or competition, you can see the kids look up at their parents in the stand. Oh, yeah. And that that's the look of having support and not being angry, not yelling, not shouting at the kids, just being there and having the kid know that you're there to support them is huge. I've also seen where parents take that a little too far because I do you know, had the catbird seat. I do public address announcing uh, varsity sports at Lansing Catholic High School and parents coach their kids from the stands mm-hmm. or, and so they're listening. I've seen this happen where kids are saying they're listening to, you know, their parent over here, tell them you need to shoot the three mm-hmm. when they're really a post player on, yeah. on a basketball floor, or, you know, they're giving them all this information. And then in the other ear, their team coach is coaching them. And th- what does that to the kid? What I've seen more often than not, they don't perform, right? They don't know what to do, so they just kind of look a little lost. Yeah, because now there's pressure. They have to choose. Yeah, who am I going to listen to? Yeah, do I listen to my parent who I have to go home with? Do I listen to my coach who picks what, how much I play during the game? Yeah, I think parents coaching that way is really undermining the coach and the coach's role. Mm, completely. Yeah, and parents should be coaching through the coach and having conversations with the coach and listening to the coach and what the coach wants. For their child, but also sharing their own goals. And it should be more of a collaborative, engaging conversation. Exactly. And it should, but somehow the parents are not getting that message. 
And I feel like they're, they're overstepping their bounds in some ways. Yeah. It goes, yeah. It goes back to that professionalization. What are the goals the parents have for their kids? Exactly. Um, I, I think that's, yeah, I think that's a great point because, um, kids are under so much pressure these days, uh, especially as they get on into high school, there's so much competition for scholarship money, whether it be academic or, uh, you know, athletic scholarships. And so the parents get into this mode of competition as well, because there's a financial reward at the end. And I've seen it happen where, you know, kids just for say, I, I'll be running a conditioning drill. And, you know, when you're conditioning or when you're running or when you're out on the tennis court in a sport like that, you're exposed. Mm -hmm. It is just you, you in the world. And a lot of these kids don't know how to handle when they don't win. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen kids just break into tears over running conditioning sprints because it's too hard for them. And I go back where it's okay for them to know what to do when you lose. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's where the parents need to, from my standpoint, take a step back because you are going to lose. I think that's such an important lesson that kids can learn. And I think as a coach, that's important for me to teach them because we have had a lot of losses mm -hmm. and, you know, we don't always have a, you know, a winning record, but how as a coach do you teach kids or what would you say to people for coaches? How do you teach them to lose? Sure. Yeah. So uh, our we did research on Gen Z athletes mm -hmm. um, coming out of uh, elite level tennis coaches. Um, and one of their big, um, challenges was that kids can't deal with adversity, mm -hmm. that resilience is low. Um, so we asked them, what, what do you do then? How do you teach resiliency? Um, and they said, you give them opportunities to face resiliency in a cold, uh, controlled manner. So, Such as? So yeah, so you run them through tough conditioning drills. Mm -hmm. You yep. put something big on the line where if they lose or win, you know, there's, there's a motivating factor there. It's a high-pressure situation. Mm -hmm. You mimic the high-pressure situations of a tennis, so you have everybody on the sides cheering. Yep. Yep. You run them through those stressful scenarios where they don't really show the signs of resiliency. And before you do that, you teach them the skills of resiliency. Because I think in the past, kids had an opportunity to learn resiliency skills. Mm -hmm. But as with this new generation, they've been a little bit more protected. That's um, putting it mildly. Yeah. <laughs> so they don't have those opportunities to use resiliency because they're being protected against it. Yeah. So coaches now should teach those resiliency skills. So deep breathing, progressive muscle relaxation, um, you know, I, I always told my athletes, count to 10 on your strings. Imagine the numbers showing mm -hmm. up on your strings. Mm -hmm. Get a routine, pre-performance pre routines. Have all these skills ready and mm -hmm. then throw them into these stressful situations. But warn them that those stressful situations are coming. Yeah. Because an athlete knows a big match is coming up. They're never just thrown into a big match. Correct. So preparing them, letting them know this situation's coming up, giving them the skills, and then the debrief at the end is also very big. Mm -hmm. So connecting the dots for them. If a skill, a resiliency skill, like a pre-performance routine, really kept them focused and kept them calm, link that for them and make those connections for them. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good point. You know, I did 
in the middle of our sprint drill. I did stop, and we all did some breathing. Breathe through your lungs, in and out. Put your hands on your ribs. Feel it move through your lungs in your rib cage, because they, they get really tight in panic, and it's just like throat breathing. Mm-hmm. And they're gonna, they, they do feel like they're going to pass out. Yeah. Um, but, I, yeah, I think that is is really critical. And, and, you know, when I had a conversation with them, I said, we're just running. That's it. Yeah. And it, I, I will never ask you guys on my tennis team to do something I don't think you can do. We've, we've done this before and it maybe just was the day. There were a lot of kids having a bad day all at one time, but I I thought we were just going to have a complete meltdown, you know, but the other thing I didn't do was give in. Mm Mm-hmm. I tried to teach them how to get through it mm-hmm. by breathing, yeah. by telling them that they can do this. They've done it before, that it's not that hard. I'm not, you know, and we took a few longer breaks in between sprints and then we eventually were able to finish it. But it was really a struggle that day. And um, yeah, I think it's right. It's the resiliency that, that you don't see mm-hmm. in kids Yeah, um, that is kind of puzzling in some ways, but I, I, yeah. Yeah. It's hard because I think the coaches are being asked to do more than just coach the sport now. Oh, definitely. Yeah. They're not compensated for the role they're having and they're not trained for that role. So we're asking them to be this important person for a youth athlete and we're not giving them the tools. We're not giving them the incentive and being that person. Exactly. Um, But I also wanted to say two more things you can do in that moment, too, Mm -hmm. is um, athletes, today's athletes really like to be involved in the conversation. Mm -hmm. So sharing and they like to know the why. So why are we doing these sprints? How is this going to help me be a better tennis player? Mm -hmm. What's the connection? What's the purpose? And that creates buy-in for athletes. Um, And then what you said, being that supportive, having that supportive relationship Mm -hmm. where you say, trust me, I'm not doing this just cause I'm doing this for your own good. Right. And when they trust you, like building that trust through the season. So that moment is easier for them to handle. Yeah. And, and I've told them, I said, just by getting in better shape, uh, it will improve your game. Mm-hmm. 30% hands down. And it, our line is you can't hit the ball if you can't get to the ball. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> <I like that>. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I do remind them of that. And the fact that tennis is a running sport. An average match, you run and singles two to three miles. Yeah. And so what we're doing here is is not a lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Those are some really excellent insights and tips for sure. And I do hope that there are some aspiring coaches out there that uh, decide to take a plunge. Because when you see those kids get success mm-hmm. and they've been successful, they've mastered something, where it be, I was telling you a story, story earlier where I had someone that, needed to learn how to do an under the, the, the underhand serve. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she was able to get it in and won a couple of games in a set, you should have seen her face. It was amazing. Or to the other end when um, last week when my team beat a rival, <laughs> Portland, <laughs> that they haven't beaten the regular season in over 10 years. And to see those kids light up when they all realized, oh my gosh, we did this. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. all you, that's such a joy. It's such a joy. Yeah. It is such a joy to coach. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Is there anything you'd like to add to your story or anything that we haven't talked about? Um, I think just 
you know, if we, if we talk about life skill building, cause I, I meet a lot of coaches who I say, what's your philosophy? What's your objective as a coach? What do you want to do? And they all say, I want to develop great people. Mm-hmm. I want to develop athletes and people. And I say, how do you do that? And they don't know. Well, you have to break it down <laughs> yeah. because to, to, to say you're going to develop great people. Okay. How are you going to do that? You know, for me, I use examples like say for instance, um, they don't agree with the other person's line call. And I'll say to them, you need to use your voice. Mm-hmm. And then I'll add, there's going to be someday you're in the workforce where you're not going to agree with who you're working with. And you will have used, learned how to use your voice and speak up for yourself. So I try as best I can to, to link it to some sort of life skill outside almost every day. Yeah. So we call that explicit transfer in the research. Mm-hmm. And with younger ages specifically, and especially at that high school, younger high school age, but making those connections is huge. Mm -hmm. And just spending time to think about what are those skills that my athletes need? What skills are going to help them be a better individual later in life? Mm -hmm. And then how can I teach that within the sport context? Exactly. Exactly. We need more people like you out there (laughs) teaching coaches how to coach. Really, honestly, it's just a delight to talk with you and speak with you on some of these issues because I really think... It's affecting sports participation yeah. because we don't have enough good coaches out there that are going to be able to link to those life skills. And we have a different climate now, even in 2023, you know, from when my kids were still in high school, uh, it, the, the parent role has changed and it keeps evolving and it keeps, I think, interfering or bumping up to where coaches really have the responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Parents want to take that over. And uh, it's nice to hear some ideas and things going on in the research for sure. Yeah. Okay. So I know you've listened to a couple of the podcasts and you know how we got the title. Do I need my racket? Sure. And, um, at the end of every one, I always ask. So Jen, if, if you could tell me, you know, it's different for everybody. What is your racket? Ooh. Um, I guess my racket would be like the opportunity that we have with sport and making that the best experience for kids. So just giving kids the best experience they can through sport Mm -hmm. and how can we systematically work and learn more about the experience and train coaches. And I think it all goes back to the, the kid and their experience and how we can better serve them. Yeah, and we need more people like you with those thoughts and ideas out there for sure. Well, thank you so much for spending time with me this afternoon and and, uh, talking with me about youth sports and how we can make it a better experience. And I look forward to speaking with you in the future. Yeah, thank you very much. Let's raise the question again. How do you know you've been a good coach? Well, for me, it's definitely not by the number of open house invitations that I receive. But perhaps that on that senior day, when you go to embrace that player, they pull you a bit closer and you can feel his or her heart and spirit. 
Maybe being a good coach is the look of excitement when your team beats a rival for the first time in 10 years, like the Lansing Catholic girls tennis team this past spring in 2023 beat Portland High School for the first time since 2013. And they were excited. They mastered something. You've been a good coach when your team understands what it means to be a team and sacrifice for each other, giving up a starting position or change from singles to doubles play in tennis because that gives the team a greater chance of winning. Or maybe you know you've been a good coach at the end of the season when parents thank you sincerely by acknowledging your time and commitment. You can measure being a coach when you see a player embrace something that is so difficult they struggle with, they think it's impossible, that they'll never do, and perhaps miss 100 out of 100 serves, but the next day they come back, they persevere, and they make 20 out of 100 and smile. Maybe you can measure being a good coach when your team loses and the team comes back to practice working harder and ever, encouraging each other to reach higher because they can do better. Or maybe it's just this simple. When the kids on your team feel respected, valued, understand their role, and that they are an important part of the team. So when the question comes up, how do you know You've been a good coach. It really comes down to this simple phrase. Hey, coach. Once again, I'd like to thank Tudor Big from Big Sound and Lighting for editing and producing this podcast and for providing the original theme music. For more information about In Her Name Foundation, visit our website at inhernamefoundation.org. Join us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our newsletter or make a donation. We look forward to meeting all of you again and sharing our next episode of Inspiration. Until then, see you next time and be prepared to bring your racket. <laughs>